Welcome to Totally Biased Media, the podcast where three brothers that know absolutely nothing about video games tell you everything they know about video games. I'm Jordan, and Jenga is my 2022 Game of the Year. I'm Jason, and I'm addicted to physical comedy. And then Jordan, here you'll put a sound effect where it sounds like I ran into a wall and then like broke a plate or something, and then I make the noise from Home Improvement. And I'm Jackson, Destiny 2. It's officially 2023, and what better way to kick off the new year than to reminisce about the last one? We're talking about the standouts from last year, our hopes for the next year, and pick our official 2022 TBM Game of the Year. Let's get into it. Let's see just how biased this totally media is. Yep, that's that's the tagline I've been looking for. <laughs> we found it. <laughs> we can stop looking here. <laughs> <sighs> well, folks, 2022 was a heck of a year. I would say one of the years of all time. I wouldn't. Nah, I'm not I'm not giving you anything for that one. 2022, nah. We'll look back on this year and we won't remember it because it didn't happen. <laughs> It's there funny is no 2022 in Bossing Say. Yeah. <laughs> I've read multiple game of the year lists and watched videos and listened to podcasts and and all these people are being like, well, they say 2022 was bad for games, but was it? And yes, the answer is yes. It was a bad year for games. Everyone's just like, they say 2022 is a bad year for games, and then they act like Stray was a standout. <laughs> yeah. That's how you know. Yeah, it's not that there were no good games. It's just that there were there weren't a lot of games, period. Like there were just less significant releases than normal. Even the the standout indies that didn't have, you know, huge press releases around them still just had a hard time finding their place. It was just it was just a weird year. Like I don't think that it's a, a knock on the quality of the games overall as much as just it's it's such a jumble that it's hard to pick out certain ones and be like, these are the good ones and these are the bad ones. The best thing about games this year, at least for me, was I I played a lot more indies or at least the same number of indies as I did new games. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a hipster or something or like I'm trying too hard, but I, I do have to say, I think that I had more standout positive experiences playing indie games than any other year ever. Oh, That's yeah. the best thing yeah. about this year, for sure. For sure. And we're definitely going to get into that. And I think the best way to kick off our discussion about those indie games is to talk about one of the very first releases of 2022, and definitely one of the standouts in my book. That is Nobody Saves the World. If this, if you missed this one, which who could blame you because it came out in basically the worst possible time for a video game to come out in 2022. It is a, oh, how do you even categorize this game? It's a, it's a dungeon crawler, very similar to your Diablos and, and such, but with a couple of really interesting wrinkles in that your character, who is a literal nobody, both in name and ability, can magically change forms to all these other classes that sort of range from everything from your generic RPG classes like your knight and your ranger and your mage 
all the way to just buck wild stuff like a horse, horse and an egg, rat, uh, zombie. Like it's it's a little bit of everything. For me, I think it was actually one of the strongest indie releases of the year, which is really saying something because it has some steep competition. One one of the first like big indie games that I played this year was uh, Sifu from Slow Clap. It basically follows around uh, a martial artist whose master gets killed, and he gets a hold of a mysterious amulet that makes it to where every time he is killed in combat, instead of dying, he he just uh, he gets a little bit older. As you get older, you get you know more proficient at martial arts, but you also get frailer, so it's easier for enemies to take you out. And I thought it was a really cool concept, and I really enjoyed it. So I think when this one came out, Jackson and I reviewed one game and Jason reviewed Sifu, but I can't remember what the one game we reviewed was. It was uh, Horizon. Ah, that is that is right. We'll talk about that one later. Yeah, yeah. No, I really liked Sifu, though. I think you guys kind of missed out by not playing it. The The combat is excellent. It makes really good use of like environmental takedowns and stuff like that. <laughs> I really like being able to just pick up random objects off the ground or off of like, sometimes you can steal enemies' weapons and stuff like that and just beat them up with it. It's mm. really fun, really satisfying, not just to like play, but it's also really fun to watch. Now, speaking of games that we would tell people to try, this next one, I would tell maybe like three people to try. Not because it's bad, but because getting into Destiny is so hard. <laughs> You had to walk so far to get there. <laughs> I know. I wanted to so bad. <laughs> yeah. Destiny 2 The Witch Queen. Tell us about it, Jackson. Destiny 2 The Witch Queen is probably the biggest... Uh, the, the, the expansion of this game that has caused me the most confusion out of any of them. <laughs> because for the first time in Destiny, we had a campaign that played out like a Halo campaign. It was like eight missions back to back. No stupid go here and kill 20 fallen with precision headshots from a sidearm you got two expansions ago. It was an actual campaign. And that was awesome. And that was basically it. I mean, let's be honest. Destiny 2 is really at its best right when the expansions drop. For sure. I've always liked Destiny first and foremost because the minutes minute gameplay is exceptional. I don't think any shooter feels as good as Destiny. But the big selling point for me beyond that is the fact that it can be what you want it to be. So it can just be that campaign, you know, a handful of missions where you go on a big sci-fi adventure and fight a big boss. Or it can be rich and complicated lore and you're learning so much about hundreds and hundreds of years of history that make up this game. And then the combat can be very simple run and gun shooter stuff or you can have all these complicated builds with hyper-specific mods that feed into other mods that feed into different weapons. And it, it can be as complicated as you want it to be. And I really appreciate that in a game. Jackson, you're never going to believe it, but I have positive things to say about Destiny 2. Woo! I think that the gameplay of Destiny 2, like Jordan said, is incredible. I think that every time an expansion drops for Destiny, I am at least fairly excited to give it a shot. Sometimes I give it a little bit of time before I actually end up doing it. But Witch Queen, I think, is one of those expansions that kind of stands up there with uh, Taken King 
for Destiny 1 a few years ago. I tune in every time an expansion drops for like a couple of weeks and then it it bucks me off. It's like a it's like a one of those mechanical bulls. Speaking of tuning in to a game for a few weeks and then uh letting go of it. Lego Star Wars the Skywalker Saga. Hey man, you're not very good at segways. I am letting you do every segue from here on out though. <laughs> I Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga was one of my most anticipated games this year because Lego Star Wars The Complete Saga, even the original Lego Star Wars and Lego Star Wars 2 were some of like the most memorable pieces of my childhood. When I heard they were remaking the entirety of Star Wars in Lego, I was so excited. And then I played it and I was like, okay, yeah, it's all right, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I was hesitant to even put this one on the list because for me, it was just so fine. Like, it was, it checked all the boxes, but it didn't exceed anything I wanted. <laughs> like, my so. biggest issue is it's the least Lego game to come out in all of Lego games. When I was playing through it the first time, I really liked it. I thought it was a fun way to kind of work all the story missions and the open world together. But. I do think that it was a major dampener on re- replayability. Uh, this this one was weird. We gave we gave it like glowing reviews at the time, but the further we've gotten from it, I just it it just it was fine. <laughs> Which is how I feel about most of the games this year. <laughs> yeah, we'll just we'll breeze right through these next couple of games because they're all ones that only one or two of us played. Because speaking of games that were fine, this next one may or may not be because I didn't <laughs> play it. That would be Fire Emblem Heroes Three Hopes. Uh, Fire Emblem Heroes, uh, the first one was not great, but I really, really liked Hyrule Warriors. And this game sort of took a lot from that, which I really appreciated. Uh, As someone that was both a big fan of Fire Emblem Three Houses and a big fan of uh, Hyrule Warriors, it was kind of the perfect storm of that. It's not going to appeal to anyone that doesn't like both of those things because this game is half just the Musou combat from the Warriors games and half Fire Emblem Three Houses fan service. Not the gross kind, just the, hey, remember this character kind. Uh, so if you're not into those, don't don't even bother. But as someone that liked both of those, I like this game a whole lot. All right. Again, you know, on the topic of games I didn't play that I have nothing to say about, Here's God. Forza Horizon 5 Hot Wheels expansion. <laughs> you remind me of Jeff Keighley, but like <laughs> if he was really depressed during the Game Awards. <laughs> yeah. Forza Horizon 5 was on our Game of the Year list last year, I believe. It was my Game of the Year. It was. It was Jordan's, yeah. Yeah. All of us really liked Forza Horizon 5, except Jackson's really cooled on it since then. Um, hey, I don't dislike it. It's just not my type of thing. Yeah. It was well, It was very much like in my top five last year. The Hot Wheels expansion takes everything that's great about Forza Horizon 5, the, the excellent driving, the huge selection of vehicles, and just being an absolutely gorgeous game, and it puts you down on Hot Wheels tracks. And honestly, what more do you need? I think that... If they had just honestly gotten, I think it's Playground Games that develops uh, the Forza games. If they had just gotten them to develop Hot Wheels Unleashed or whatever instead, I think that I would have been talking about it as my game of the year. They just get it. 
It's incredible. Yeah. They did it for Forza Horizon 3, and it was incredible then, and it's still incredible now. It's even better now, actually. I love wheels, but I also like half wheels. The letter C, which is the first letter of the title of the game, Cult of the Lamb. I'm going to need a minute. <laughs> Uh, you know, usually when people do segues, they try to, they do a little bit more than just um, say the name of what they're segueing. <laughs> you played this game, like, you know what happens in it. Cult of the Lamb is, it's a really good idea that I totally get why people were as smitten with it as they were. Because I think it it marries two genres that just fit very well together. You have this cult management thing which is basically your life semi type game you have to build up a village you have to life sim is the right word but you know what i mean like you have to build (laughs) up this village and you have to accommodate their wants and needs and you have to bring in more people and it has all of that building element of it but the way that you actually get the resources for building is to go into this roguelike dungeon crawler sort of somewhere between Hades and Binding of Isaac type of gameplay. And I think that everything it does, it does fine, but the finished product is a lot better than that. If this game were to launch with really tight precision combat like Hades and with just a little bit more depth to the cult building mechanics, I think it would be absolutely exceptional. But as it is, I just don't think it quite had enough to like be the game it was just pretty good <laughs> instead oh can i try this one can I, I got a good one you Kay. can do it yeah okay so the the first letter of that last game was c but what if we closed the loop of that c and it was like a wheel and then we put three of those wheels in line and it was like <laughs> some kind of rollerblade well, that's that's um, similar to roller skates, which are the thing that you use in this next game, roller drum. Take it away, somebody who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> uh. Roller drum was pretty good. Roller drum. Uh, this was the big reason I didn't play Cold of the Lamb. Roller drum really hooked me in. It was. It's a fast-paced uh, roller skate. <laughs> based arena shooter it takes place in like a dystopian future world where the biggest like source of entertainment is the roller drone which is where people go into like a skate arena with roller skates and shoot a bunch of things and score points and look cool while doing it it uh, it answers the question what if tony hawk and i guess maybe doom had a baby and it was high score based yeah i think that this game didn't have quite enough to it to really reel me in but i think that just those first couple of hours were probably some of the best time i spent playing games this year because once you finally get a feel for how the tricks feed into your ammo and how the different weapon types react to the different characters and you can do these absolutely insane lines it just, it feels so cool. Like, no game this year let me do things that felt as cool as Roller Drone. Yeah. However, it's only a handful of levels. There's only four weapons. It's It felt like it should have been released with, like, twice as much content for it to, like, 
really be a, a huge, huge game. But this was made by a very small studio that also put out another one of the biggest indie games of the year. So I'm going to give them a pass. <laughs> it was made by Roll7, who also put out Ollie Ollie World this year. So big year for them. I've heard Ollie Ollie World was very good. I didn't play it. Yeah, me neither. Leave this in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, I would say the next game is also one that I don't know who made it. But now I know who made Rollerdrome. And I don't think they made the hit release Metal Helsing. Okay, so the segue on this one was that it does not have the same developer <laughs> as the last game. <laughs> Got it. Got it's it. things they have in common. The thing they have in common is developers. The thing that makes it a segue is that it's a different one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's developed by the outsiders, by the way. Metal Hellsinger is... It's one of those games where I was instantly totally into it. Because it offered something that a lot of other games have tried and just failed on. Which is this rhythm-based action. It's something that so many games have attempted and just have never clicked with me. But this one, it took me about a quarter of one level to be like, okay, this is this is good. But that's enough about Rhythm Heaven. Tell us about yeah. Metal Hellsinger. <laughs> Metal Hellsinger is just, it's so fun. There is, there is no other word for this game. Like, it is just fun. The story is nonsensical. The aesthetic is totally not my vibe. I don't even really care for the music itself, but it all just clicks to, to make such a fun package. I mean, it's Doom set to music, which is all that I really want in life in general. <laughs> I think what makes the music more bearable for me is the way it builds. Because when you start a level, you have like a zero combo or a one X combo or whatever. And all you're hearing is the bass drum. And then like, as you get that combo up, it starts to bring in the higher voices and you get, you know, your bass then your guitar and then you get like the lead guitar doing solos on top of that. And then once you get it to the max combo, then the vocals kick in and it all fits together. And it makes it it makes it to where when you're really on a roll and you're dealing tons of damage, you're staying on the beat, you're doing it all right. It makes it feel like you've really accomplished something because you built to that. So I just I just don't think a lot of games can really compete with that level of energy. It kind of has the same problem Rollerdrome does, where I just don't think it has quite enough content out of the gate. It, it definitely has a better weapon selection. Even though there's not a ton of weapons, I think that they're just a lot more thoughtful than the Rollerdrome weapons. But there are still just aren't a ton of levels. I think it only took me about four hours to beat the game and do all the challenge levels. So... Not a ton of content, but what is there is very, very good. And I've heard that they're adding modes where you can input your own music and stuff, which sounds incredible. I don't know how it's going to work in the slightest, but it sounds cool. Well, uh, I'll keep my eye out for uh, Indie Rock Hellsinger. Usually when you keep your eye out, you can see what's ahead of you. But in the case of some games, <laughs> you don't see anything at all. Our next game is Sonic Frontiers. The game where it only features Poppin. <laughs> so Sonic Frontiers was like definitely a game I played this year. I I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. So I am a Sonic skeptic, to say the least. This game, when I was playing it for the very first time, 
I got to just take off across this big open plane, fight some giant robots, got to just really keep up that momentum. There was a moment there when I thought like, okay, they got it. Like they finally figured out Sonic because Sonic has struggled in the 3D space, basically the entire run of the character. Except for the first two times where they nailed it. (laughs) Yeah, they got it right once and then never again, or technically twice and then never again. But it's been a while since there's been a good 3D Sonic game. And this game, when I first started it, really felt like they finally figured it out. And there are really good bones here. Like, I think that this is the framework for an incredible game we will see down the road. However, it's rough. In the first world, like, the entire time I was playing it, I thought, you know, the combat of this is all right. It could use, like, some extra work, but I think it's a good step. But honestly, the biggest detraction for me was the world. I just don't think Sonic is good set in a realistic world. I want to see a gigantic green hill zone. I don't want to see, like, the rolling hills of Ohio. I don't know that it matters that much. Hi, resident Sonic fan Jason here. I'm wearing a Sonic t-shirt as we speak. Sonic Frontiers, it gets so much right about Sonic, but the problems that it has are not because it's a Sonic game. (laughs) Right. Which is a very unique problem for a Sonic game to have. But, like, I think that playing a Sonic, moving around the map, and, like, just the overall sense of exploration is incredible. I think the problem with it is how, you know, like Jordan mentioned, like every time you get to a new level, you basically have to start from scratch. Uh, I think that there's way too many items to collect in the open world and collect-a-thons are not in anymore. And this is one of the most egregious offenders I've ever seen. Not only are there like an absurd number of collectibles, you need like 50 of one particular collectible to progress one stat by like 1%. Like it's so much. I think the game runs really poorly, like it's not super well optimized, and the pop-in is absolutely egregiously terrible. It's Which is- like things will pop in like 10 feet in front of you while you're moving, you know, incredibly quickly, because this is the first Sonic <laughs> game where he actually feels fast. There is so much to like about Sonic Frontiers, and so much to dislike about it, but... I think that Sonic Frontiers 2 is really going to be Sonic's game. It has the bone structure of a good future for Sonic, but this just isn't it. It has the musculature of a good Sonic game, but it just ain't it. I would say this: it has the skin of a good Sonic. No, uh, it's one of those things where as good of a setup as it is, I'm still not hopeful for the future because Sonic Team is not good about capitalizing on what they do right. They for some reason, feel the need to innovate in the wrong direction so much. So who knows what the next game will be like? Now, a good setup is not what I have for this transition. Because I couldn't find anything to stick between Sonic Frontiers and our next game, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. You couldn't think of any similarities between Sonic the Hedgehog and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's insane. Okay, okay, let me try again. Do you love the 90s? Well, 
Cowabunga, dude. That's the catchphrase of five of the characters between these two games. Do you love mutated creatures that have turned into a human food loving weird thing? Well, then you'll love the next game. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge, which I think was the biggest surprise hit for me this year. It was honestly one of the most fun experiences that I had. And we played this entire game in one stream. <laughs> I think that the best pitch I can give for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge is what if there was an arcade game that wasn't designed to cheat to get more quarters out of you? That's it. That's all you need. Yeah. Like, this it, is, it literally feels like you're playing an arcade game that you just you just keep pay playing. for once or get it <laughs> off Game Pass. Yeah. I really, really like this one a lot. I think it feels really good. I think it looks great. I think it was like the perfect length for what it is. I think yeah. it just nailed everything it was going for. It's it's a good example of how a game can be really fun and you put it down and just you don't need to play it again because you, you've done everything it has to offer and you think, wow, this was a great experience. Now I can move on. <laughs> 10 out of 10, it has Bebop and Rocksteady in it. Yeah, just just a really great game across the board. It's on Game Pass. If you have an Xbox or a PC, even a, even like a crappy PC will run it. Go play it, especially if you have friends to play with. You gave me a good segue for this next one. If you want to play a bad game and you don't have an Xbox or a PC, <laughs> this next one's for you. Hey, <laughs> this game isn't bad i don't know <laughs> i have a, i have a hard time defending it i had so much fun with pokemon scarlet and violet but there is so much wrong with this game that it's really hard to be positive about it at all there is so much good stuff here the open world the new pokemon are all really good this might be the best gen they've ever had as far as new pokemon designs i mean the starters are rough but beyond that they're all exceptional yeah, I mean, incredible Pokemon, open world, Larry. This is the only Pokemon game that has Larry in it. <laughs> when I started this, the first few hours I was thinking, this is it. This is when I finally get back into Pokemon after like four years of not wanting to play any of these games. And then by five hours in, I was like, oh, God, I was wrong. God save me. <laughs> End of the day, I still I still enjoyed it enough to complete the Pokedex, which I haven't done since like the DS era. So I guess it has that going for it, no matter what. I also completed the Pokedex. It was very good. So speaking of games that are forgettable and Jackson doesn't want anything to do with them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next game is one that I am actively in the middle of playing right now. So I don't Same. I want to hold some judgment for the time being, but it's a game that Came out last year, so definitely is worth bringing up. Uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns. This is one of those games where I was floored in premise from like the second it was announced. Because everything about it conceptually is insane. This is a Marvel turn-based strategy game made by the developers of XCOM. XCOM. But... It has this emo vibe that all of it together is just buck wild. Like this game, yeah. it's actually a lot of fun. It is so weird though. 
everything about it is so weird. I was excited for this one because usually a good way to draw me into a genre I don't play is just pop on an existing IP that I love to it. It's a game of two halves. There's one half that is absolutely incredible. And in that half of the game, you pick a team of three superheroes, you go out into the field, and you get like randomly generated cards that decide like what abilities you're going to have that turn. There's like a fun deck building mechanic, and the whole thing is just about upgrading your heroes, leveling them up, unlocking new cards, upgrading those cards. And it's so fun and so satisfying. And every hero like feels true to their namesake or what, I, whatever you want to call them. I mean, <laughs> like when you're playing as Iron Man, when he's on your team and you're using Iron Man cards, you're like, yeah, that's Iron Man. This is a very Iron Man way to play. And that's exactly what I wanted out of him. Uh, and then there's this other half of the game where it's a social sim. And then when you see Iron Man there, you're like, who is this strange man? Why does he keep talking like he's Iron Man? He doesn't look like Iron Man. He doesn't even really act like he's Iron Man. Yeah, this game, I really, really like the combat. I really like the general flow of how you get better and stronger and how you get new cars and all that stuff. I just wish I didn't have to talk to these characters in the process because it's some of the worst dialogue I've ever seen in any Marvel property. And there have been some bad Marvel games out there. And then sometimes you'll think a character's all right. Like the first few missions that I did where I like spoke to uh, Nico Minoru from uh, the, the Runaways, I was like, she's pretty cool. And then I have one conversation where she's like, are you goth? Would you consider yourself goth or emo? And I'm like, I don't want to have this conversation with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And every character so far has had at least one just horribly awkward conversation. But cringy dialogue is the perfect segue to the next game. <laughs> I'm glad you had a segue for this one because I, I know nothing about this next game. So I had no idea what to say for it. both games yeah. have both games have Steve Bloom. Because Steve Bloom, he's Wolverine in Midnight Suns, and he's one ah. of the guys in Neon White. I got it. I got it. Now, Marvel of Midnight Suns, you might know, is a video game. This next game is also a video game. There we next go. Next up, Neon White. Someone yeah. please tell me whatever this is, because I've heard about it. I have no idea what it is, though. You know what? This was the easiest transition to make, because this is also a card game. Yeah, there we go. Didn't even think about that. I really like Neon White. It's a game I kind of forgot about, honestly, after I beat it. Uh, I finished it over the course of like one weekend and then just it kind of left my mind. But it's a really, really cool concept. And it's the closest that a game's ever gotten me to actually wanting to get into like speed running and stuff. Basically, the premise is it is a first person shooter with these really high speed very, very short linear levels. So you run through, kill all the bad guys, get to the end. Most levels, if you do it right, only takes like less than a minute. But you are limited to only the weapons you can find in the level. And those sort of take form as cards. So as you're running through, you might hit a guy with a knife. They drop a machine gun card. And you can use that to just tear through a couple enemies coming up. 
and then you know that group of enemies might drop a shotgun or or whatever and it's all really focusing on momentum like this game wants you to keep moving it wants you to keep picking up cards and using guns in very fluid ways and it makes you just feel like what you're doing is impressive like it's a game that very seamlessly forces you into this like speed running mentality and that's something that i normally do not vibe with in games at all i do not care about time trials i do not care about leaderboards but this game made me care about those things because just running fast and killing things as quickly as you can feels good. It also has the interesting thing where each card is a weapon, but also can be used for some kind of like movement ability. Right. Like a pistol can be a pistol or you can like throw it once as an explosive. There, You have to like balance out your options every time you pick up a card. You have a lot of options of how you go about getting through a level. Yeah, and sometimes you'll get several cards at once. So not only do you have to figure out, you know, which one to use and when, but you have to like keep in mind, like, okay, I can only have one on deck, so I can use this one to blow this open, then I can use this one to double jump to here, and then this one I can dash, and it has a very, very cool feel to it. Again, cringy dialogue, like straight up horrible dialogue. Uh, almost made me put down the game multiple times. It's so bad. <laughs> now. While some games are fast-paced, some of them are slow, because you read them and pick your own pace. And if you are a slow reader, that's a-okay. And I'm not saying that in a biased way at all. This next game, Pentiment. Jason, tell me about it. Pentiment is the new hit game from my man, Josh Sawyer, at Obsidian. If you're unfamiliar with Josh Sawyer, he made... He was the director for Fallout New Vegas, and that's where I fell in love with the man. And then we continue our, our incredible relationship on Twitter to this day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Pentiment is a murder mystery game. But the cool thing about it is that there is no right answer to any of the, the things that you're doing. The whole game is based around talking to everyone in town and trying to piece together like where everyone was, what they were doing during the murders, and trying to find out who you think was the most likely one. Pentiment's really good, y'all. I mean, I liked Disco Elysium a lot last year, so naturally I was going to like a fairly similar in concept game that came out this year. You get to kind of build up your character as you go along with your dialogue choices early in the game, and that kind of decides what clues you're able to interact with and the different kinds of relationships you'll form with different people. Cause you know, if everyone thinks that you're some kind of, you know, preppy artist from out of town, then they're not going to like you. But if they get to know you and they realize that like you grew up poor and like you're really similar to them and you're just trying to make your own way, maybe they'll open up to you and give you more hints. It's a really fun murder mystery game and I couldn't recommend it enough. Case of the Golden Idol. I'm so glad this is our last one. <laughs> I bought Case of the Golden Idol a week ago, and I absolutely loathed starting it because I kept looking at the art for it. I was like, this is hideous. I hadn't really looked up anything about it, so I didn't know what I was even signing myself up for. But I was just like, everyone I've seen that has played Case of the Golden Idol has said something along the lines of, if, goal, if Case of the Golden Idol isn't in your Game of the Year list, it's because you haven't played it. I thought that was just being really pretentious. But then 
uh, two nights ago, I sat down and I played Case of the Golden Idol in one sitting because it was that gripping. It was that good. Kind of the whole idea of the game is that you see, I don't know, I don't know how best to describe it. There is a scene set before you and there is basically a story that that scene tells a murder that's just happened. It's not really that similar to Pentiment, although they are both, I guess, kind of murder mysteries. But the whole idea is that you want to figure out who everyone is in the scene based on items that are around the level, what happened between those characters, and you unlock the different words by exploring like through their belongings and, and reading books and stuff like that that they have around them. It is very good. <laughs> I think that at the end of the day, it's a pretty simple game. Conceptually, it is just kind of a point and click adventure game where you want to find all of the keywords uh, and then you kind of have to think it through and figure out what happened. And it's it's so fun. <laughs> I guess um, the game that I would say it's the most similar to was Return of the Obra Dinn, which came out several years ago now. And everyone talked about how incredible it was. I think that ca that uh, Case of the Golden Idol is basically Return of the Obra Dinn with all of the fluff cut out, making it a really tight experience that tells a really interesting story concisely. It's like five hours long. If you haven't played Case of the Golden Idol, I would highly recommend playing it. I would. I. It's one of those that I would recommend to anyone. If you know how to read, then you know you have everything that you need to play Case of the Golden Idol. Well. I think that just about does it for most of 2022, except for the best and the brightest. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and tell you all about our nominees for the TBM 2022 Game of the Year. We're back and we're ready to talk 2022 Game of the Year nominees. Our first nominee is. Pokemon Legends Arceus. Arceus Arceus. Art. I've heard it said a lot of different ways. I say Arceus. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an Arceus guy. Dog God. I think that Pokemon Legends Arceus is the best Pokemon game that we've gotten in a few years at this point. I think that there are a few Pokemon games that I would ever put up as like an actual game of the year contender. And Pokemon Legends Arceus does enough to change up the formula that I think it's incredibly interesting. Everything good that they put in uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet that made it different from the games before it was from Pokemon Legends Arceus. And in most of those cases was done better in Pokemon Legends Arceus. <laughs> right. right. Legends Arceus is a weird one for me because on paper, everything sounded great like it sounded spectacular it sounded like everything i wanted in pokemon for a long time and the first few hours of that it did feel like that but the more i played the less i wanted to play it i think for me the biggest selling point for this game was the fact that it took away a lot of the trivial parts of pokemon it replaced constant battle after battle after battle with just being able to throw a pokeball and catch the pokemon 
And if you're doing it from stealth and you hit them in the back and you're using a good enough Pokeball, you're generally going to succeed on that, except against the strongest Pokemon, which you want to battle those anyways. So I just feel like it it fixed one of the biggest gripes that I have with the Pokemon games and that the thing that stopped the Pokemon games from being really exceptional in my mind. It still had its own set of flaws, but I still feel like this is the closest Pokemon's ever got to just getting it right universally. I do have to say, I wish that Legends Arceus had had a little bit more battling with trainers in it. I like that they brought back a random NPC from Pokemon Black and White, and they're just like, he's important in the story. Yeah. <laughs> just really out of left field on some of the narrative beats of this game. They're like, this guy's obsessed with trains. Um, unfortunately, trains have not been invented yet. <laughs> He's very displaced. I mean, my favorite part of Pokemon, something I've come to realize over the past few years, is just filling up the Pokedex and catching them all. And Pokemon Legends Arceus with, like, it's Pokedex that you fill in by, you know, completing certain goals with Pokemon is really fun to me. It can be a little tedious sometimes, especially with, like, some Pokemon, like, you need to evolve with friendship, and and then it'll be kind of a hassle to actually get their Pokedex completed when you already have one. But I think generally it's really fun, and it gives you a lot of reason to keep playing the game for much longer than most of the other Pokemon games will go for. I will say, yeah. the first thing I did after playing Pokemon Scarlet and Violet was play Pokemon Legends Arceus, and I had a great time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird, because every, everything you guys have said about the game are all things I agree with, but for some reason, I still just did not click with it. Well, I think it's definitely one of the most polarizing Pokemon games, because I think that it takes away a lot of the core elements of Pokemon, and... If those happen to be the things you like about Pokemon, I could definitely see why you would absolutely despise this game. And there is a roughness to this game that I could definitely see turning off a lot of people just at face value. Because I would say it looks better than Scarlet and Violet, but it has sort of a... Uh, almost like a watercolor kind of vibe to it that I think would be really pretty... If it was just made a little better, <laughs> the game just has sort of a blandness to it where it's like they were going for these very muted colors. So stuff just kind of runs together. I would still say by and large better than Scarlet and Violet, but it's not as striking as some of the stuff in Scarlet and Violet. Now, a game that does. I don't want you're not doing them anymore. Dang it. <laughs> we're not doing weird segues for these. Our second nominee for the 2022 Game of the Year, is Horizon Forbidden West. Tell us about it. It's pretty. Yeah, this is this might be the best-looking game of the year. I will definitely give it that. This game, as some might recall, when we reviewed this game, I had not played much of it, because it didn't sink me in very much at the beginning, just like Zero Dawn did. But then a few months later, I picked it back up, because I was really bored. And then it was the only game I played for like two or three full weeks. Because just like Zero Dawn, 
once you get hooked into this game, into its world, its story, its characters, its gameplay, you do not want to put it down. Because it is phenomenal. Forbidden West is still not as good as Zero Dawn was. And I think a big part of that is just, I think Zero Dawn had a much more interesting narrative. And this game kind of backtracks on a little bit of the character building done in that. But also, the narrative does get a little more... It gets a little too sci-fi, which wasn't an awful direction by any means, but I don't think it did the biggest of service to drawing in new fans or anything. This game this game does get our award for most redhead protagonists. It's true. <laughs> the story builds a lot upon Zero Dawn's in very fascinating and sometimes extremely weird ways. And it introduces a lot new a lot of new characters, while I don't think are as interesting as the characters from Zero Dawn, are still very interesting. And I like spending time with them in this game. And I really I really like that they chose to put a good bit of new characters in. And the gameplay the gameplay is weird. The gameplay is probably the biggest difference between this and Zero Dawn. Not in the fact that it's like a completely different beast or something. It's just it is very much built as if you have played Zero Dawn. It very much feels like it expects you to know everything about how to play Zero Dawn before going into this. So early on in Zero Dawn, you basically just had the bow and like your rope caster. In this, in the first few hours, you're already going to have a few different tools to work with. And the game feels like it expects you to already know how to use each of them, which I think was the biggest issue with it. And I think later on in the game, it's fine, but it kind of makes the early game a little bit of a drag, which is why I didn't really get too into it in the first place. I haven't played this game, but the thing that you just said was an, was bad is insane to me. I like it when games like let you keep your stuff from the previous games. So I think that the biggest difference between these two games from a gameplay standpoint is that in the first game, you could at least predominantly rely on regular old bows and spears and stuff like that. This game has a huge emphasis on things like elemental damage and damage over time, and you have to know a lot more about weaknesses because you have to exploit them much more frequently. This game, enemies are a lot more aggressive than the first game, and if you don't have a plan going into every yeah. battle, you're going to get you're going to get beat down pretty hard. That's really cool, but it also means that you have to think a lot harder about basically every encounter in this game, which, you know, is a, is a double-edged sword. It's something that makes every encounter feel really cool, but it also means that things can go yeah. south very quickly just because you didn't think something all the way through. And sometimes this game did feel a little bit unfair. Although I did start on like the next to hardest difficulty, so that might have just been too much right off the bat. I really, really, really love Zero Dawn, and this game just didn't quite hit the same highs for me. It's in the running for Game of the Year, but the two awards that it's already won tonight are Most Redhead Protagonist and Most Takes Place in San Francisco. The, the biggest issue with Forbidden West is that just like Zero Dawn, Zero Dawn came out right before Breath of the Wild. And this also came out right before a year-defining game. <laughs> I can't wait to find out what huge game is going to surprise drop right after this new uh, Horizon VR game comes out in a couple months. <laughs> Horizon Call of the Mountain, followed by the game that just gives you a million dollars. 
Which one are you gonna buy? <laughs> I guess it I guess it is gonna come out like two months before uh Tears of the Kingdom, which is kind of ironic. Now, our third game of the year nominee, Elden Ring. This is my game of the year, like with a bullet. Like nothing else even came close in my mind. I loved Elden Ring. I think this would have been mine if I would have played more. Because there are so many things in this game that I do really love and are more things I want to see in video games. But I got so fed up with bosses that I did not give it the time that it deserved. I probably put in I put in about 15 hours and only beat the first story boss. So for perspective, I have played about 150 hours of this game since launch. I beat it once all the way through beat it a second time all the way through because I wanted to try out a second build, and then I've made multiple other characters since then just so I can try out different mechanics and different weapon types and different skill sets and all that. There is so much to this game. It is absolutely massive. It is filled to the brim with interesting things to find. It has some incredible boss fights, even if Jackson is not a fan. I think it has some of the most memorable boss fights and just... I guess you could say boss settings, if that if that makes any sense. Like, you're in these giant, beautiful arenas. Like, I think that there's just so much to love about this game. And it, it really is both a quantity and quality thing. Because, like I said, I've played like 150 hours, and I have really, really, really enjoyed all of that time with it. I think that no other game this year offered up as much content that was coming in as fast as the content in Elden Ring. I just, I I love it. And there's still so much I haven't found yet. There are dungeons I haven't been to. There are bosses I haven't fought. There's just, there's so much more to see. Every time I dive into the game, I discover new things. Like right away to new things in the first couple of areas of the game. I, I recognize this is not a very accessible game. And the fact that it's as obtuse as it is, some of its mechanics will definitely turn some people away. But from my experience, I have very, very few things to complain about with Elden Ring. I just, I absolutely adored it. Honestly, I really enjoyed all of my time with Elden Ring. But it's just been one of those games that I've had a tough time kind of convincing myself to go back to. Yeah. I think, like, I just have such a big catalog of games that, like, I really enjoyed that were really long, so I haven't actually beaten them. I mean, I still haven't beaten Death Stranding. I haven't beaten Final Fantasy XV. I'm kind of worried Elden Rings is going to be another game on that list. Yeah. Uh, even though I, I do really enjoy like all three of those games. <laughs> uh, but Elden Ring does get my award for most unprovoked ghost bear attacks. <laughs> yeah. Gets my award for most dogs. There are a lot of dogs. You know what? I take that back. I, I will say one thing I dislike about Elden Ring is how many dogs there are. <laughs> I just wish more games came in with the ambition that Elden Ring has. I've seen a lot of people say this is just open world Dark Souls or whatever. And like, I guess, but when it's in what is probably the best open world in a video game ever, and when it crams so much more content than a regular Dark Souls game into one package, and it still all hits just as hard as the Dark Souls games, I I don't know what people are complaining about. Now, when you talk about this being a game that you just might never finish, I kind of get it, though. Because when you talk about games like Death Stranding and Final Fantasy, they are very long games. But if you give them the time, you will definitely get through it. This game is brutal. This game is 
incredibly punishing, and it's at its most punishing at the very end. You could hypothetically go into this game and give it dozens and dozens and dozens of hours and just never break through. Like, there's just no... Like, the, you just never get to that point. And I can't blame people, because this game is very, very difficult and very, very punishing. So I, I totally get it's not everyone's vibe. But for me, there are very few things in video games that are more satisfying than when you finally take down a boss in Elden Ring. And nothing more satisfying than on your second playthrough and you down that boss on the first try. I do have to say, you know... Horizon Forbidden West is probably like the most beautiful graphically game that we have on our list. I think Elden Ring is probably the most like beautiful. Oh, yeah. Incredible picturesque environments. Like every time you look out into the distance, it's like looking at a painting. It's just an absolutely gorgeous game. Yeah. The first time that you see when you look over the horizon and you see the capital city is insane and then the first time you see that city up close is even crazier because this game is just from an art direction standpoint is gorgeous some of the character models don't look great but the art direction is is exceptional also i got to fight a lady on a boat there are a lot of there you fight some wild stuff in this game last thing i tried to do in this game was fight someone on a boat and it wasn't going well so i just ran away our fourth nominee for tbm game of the year is tunic what can i say about tunic it's so cute (laughs) it's so fun it's so it's so surprisingly deep and dark yeah (laughs) we talked about it in our review for tunic but i mean like the manual mechanic where you unlock new pages of the manual and that kind of tells you more about like the story as well as like giving you a map and telling you about more abilities that you have that like you've had the whole time and you just didn't know about. It's so good. Every time that you find out that you could have been doing something to help yourself the whole time and you just didn't know, like every time it feels like it should be frustrating, but it's so satisfying. Like even, even early on, like you find out that the way you level up is just to hold a button longer than you would have thought to hold it. Like, it, it just really puts everything into perspective several times over in very cool ways. Tunic is incredible. I think it's really cute. Uh, I like playing as a little fox guy and, and running around and hitting stuff with my sword. It gives like, I guess Link to the Past is probably the most similar mm-hmm. Legend of Zelda vibes. Maybe one of the DS games where it was like the same style as Wind Waker would be a better comparison. Yeah. But it's so fun and so cute. And it takes a gameplay format that like is already cool and something I'm already familiar with. And it adds like so many layers on top of it. I think like the combat's super satisfying and it's really difficult sometimes, but it always feels like it it never feels like you're unequipped to handle a situation. Yeah, for sure. If I had to throw any criticism at it, it would be the fact that I think the game has a little bit too strong of a reliance on things being hidden just like in the environment, which is cool until like you get to like the 20th time where the solution to something is you can just walk behind something you didn't realize you could. So that's that's a little bit much. I think that will frustrate some people a little bit more than others. But I would still say this game really fires on all cylinders pretty much from the beginning. When it's at its most simple, it's still just as fun as when it's at its most complex. 
you bring that up and it makes me think Jackson won't enjoy it because I, I seem to recall Jackson not wanting Metroid Dread on our game of the year list last year because sometimes they hid things behind places that you couldn't tell they were hidden. And I think that is dumb and I will stand by that forever. I mean, I get it. Like, especially if you grew up in a different era of games than we did, where that was just very common back in the day. In the 80s and 90s, I get it, because there's not much they could have done with technology that time. Today, what's your excuse? They show you where it is by putting enemies there in Metroid. It's a bigger issue in Tunic than it was in Metroid. But anyways, great game. Highly recommend. If you haven't played Tunic, give it a shot. It's the first game in our game of the year list that I would say... I could recommend to anyone because I I can't think of anyone that would just straight up dislike Tunic, whereas I can think of plenty of people that would dislike Horizon, Elden Ring or Pokemon. Now, I will say Tunic is a very difficult game. So if you're not a very experienced gamer, I do recommend checking out some of the settings early on because there is like an invincibility mode and there's some stuff you can do that increases visibility for some of the hidden items. So there are ways to make it more playable. At its base difficulty, it is, it's a pretty tough game. So be prepared for that. <laughs> Our fifth nominee for the TBM 2022 Game of the Year is Kirby and the Forgotten Land. I'm going to go ahead and throw in a caveat here. I'm the only one of the three of us that really liked this game. But I really, really like this game. <laughs> I've been a huge, huge Kirby fan since the beginning. I had one of one of my earliest gaming memories was playing uh, Kirby in Dreamland for the Game Boy, not even Game Boy Color, just Game Boy. And I think that the character and the world and the style has evolved in such a cool way that I don't think many other games from that era have done as seamlessly. I think that Kirby in the Forgotten Land is like the perfect evolution of Kirby, both from a gameplay perspective and just evolving mechanically I, I really really like everything this game does i know that it's a bit easy and a bit senseless and there's not a whole lot of variety in content so i get why people aren't as smitten with it as i am but i just i really really love this game i think it's really pretty i think it offers a lot of interesting level variety i think that the whole mouthful mode where kirby can absorb inanimate objects is probably the first actually good gimmick there has been in a Kirby game. That's Planet Robobot's slander. <laughs> I think I think Robobot was fine until it was overused into oblivion. But I just feel like this game really got so much right. And I think what really, really sells the game, and why a lot of people don't connect with it as much, is... There is so much really, really, really great content that is reserved until after the credits roll. And I get why people wouldn't give it the time to get there. But I think once you see what the game offers, once you're kind of done, you realize that this is a bigger, bigger game than Kirby has ever really gotten before. Like those last couple of fights in this game are, I mean, they're brutal. You're having to rely on like spot dodges and the the slow time window if you just barely like dodge out of a out of a move and you have to rely heavily on your block and you have to really get down the timing and the the area of effect on enemy attacks and it's just it's a totally different game by the end and I think that's a very very cool evolution. But if you have like kids in your life like our 6-year-old brother, you don't have to play all that stuff. Like this is still a very 
well-realized game even without all that stuff that makes it much much more difficult i think that the different worlds and levels are really interesting i think the game is really cute maybe even cuter than tunic um kirby just has that appeal when kirby says hi i'm like wow what an incredible character (laughs) yeah i think that i think that just across the board this game is probably one of the most just outright fun games i've played this year I recognize it's definitely not for everybody. There is very little overlap between this game and the other games on this list, but I just, I really, really dig it. I personally feel like Kirby is better in 2D than 3D still, even after playing Forgotten Land. You know, I'd be, I'd be curious to see another 3D Kirby and, you know, maybe it's literally just that I've spent so much time playing 2D Kirby that it's kind of a weird transition. Because Kirby's always held a special place in my heart. I mean, I I also remember playing a lot of like Nightmare in Dreamland and uh, Magic Mirror on the the Game Boy Advance back in the day. And they are really fun games. I think every Switch exclusive has been incredible. Honestly, like every first party one. I mean, there are a few exceptions here and there, like Super Mario Party. But <laughs> you know, like. Mario Odyssey, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, Kirby and the Forgotten Land. These games are all just like incredible. I think this might be the best outing of any like of all of the the Nintendo first party characters on one console that we've seen in a long time. Maybe since like the Nintendo 64. Yeah. All we need now is a really good exclusive Donkey Kong game. Please, God, give it to us. I think that our our pushing the year of the Kong is going to be what finally pushes them over the line where they're like, fine, super Donkey Kong Country 64 too. <laughs> <laughs> this time there are 2,000 collectibles. Our next nominee for TBM 2022 Game of the Year is Vampire Survivors. I know what some of you are going to say. This game didn't come out this year. I get it. Technically, version 0.1 or whatever came out in like November of 2021. But 1.0, that's still fresh. That was October of 2022. I looked it up. (laughs) I got really hooked on Vampire Survivors back in like March. And I probably put 30 or 40 hours into it over just the course of a couple of weeks. And I think that there is no version of this game that I could explain that that would make even a little bit of sense if you haven't played this game. Because this game, from the outside looking in, is totally nonsensical. Especially, like, I've taken screenshots from later into the game where it just, it's just garbage. Like, there is so much stuff filling the screen that seems totally unrelated to each other. There's a a million numbers on screen that don't make any sense by themselves. But I think that what makes Vampire Survivors so good is the whole reason video games are good. Just boiled down to like one 30-minute experience. We have a D&D group, Jordan and I, with some of our friends. And sometimes he would be streaming Vampire Survivors or he would send screenshots to the group. And I would see those screenshots and I was like, this is unintelligible, ugly garbage. And I was like, Stop sending me this. I'm never going to play this game. <laughs> and then they released it on mobile. And since then, I've probably played like 30 hours. I've never played a mobile game anywhere near as much as I've played Vampire Survivors. It's so stupid. I hate it, <laughs> but I love the game. 
it's so it's so simple it's ridiculous you play as a little 16-bit guy i mean they're straight up i think in the game's earliest form they were assets from castlevania you can tell like this game is visually as easy as as it comes you play as a little 16-bit guy he has a little whip that comes out in front of him every couple of seconds you don't control when the attack happens it's on like a it's on a it's on a cycle and the game starts where you have to just run around where enemies are in the right spot for that whip to hit them and you get a little bit of xp when you get a kill then when you level up you either can make it toward the whip now hits twice in two different directions or you can get a second weapon like a knife that you throw in whatever direction you're moving or a wand that shoots a little blast of energy at the closest enemy. And you can keep upgrading those or you can layer on a third weapon and then a fourth weapon and then accessories that buff those weapons. Well, by the end of the run, you have at least six weapons. You have at least six accessories. So you're firing off dozens and dozens of things every second in all sorts of wild directions. You have your whip is now hitting like eight times and your magic wand is now like a barrage of missiles that shoot off in every direction. And the knife is now like 20 knives that fire like a machine gun in front of you. And eventually you have a million enemies closing in on you from every direction and you're having to navigate that. And it's so simple in premise, but it becomes such a complicated thing. In just the course of 30 minutes. And very few games nail just how satisfying that evolution is. It it takes the entire selling point of a game like an old school Final Fantasy or a Chrono Trigger. Where you have this development of character starts off swinging a knife at a rat and you end up fighting a god. And it takes that entire premise and condenses it down to 30 minute runs. I'm fairly certain that it's the guy that made it had previously worked on slot machines. Hmm. So it's all about like being addictive and keeping people's eyes on the screen and stuff like that. Yeah. And he turned it into a free game yeah. or not free, but it's like $5 or it's free on mobile. Yeah, it's it's $5 to get this game on PC. It is free on mobile. And it's one of the most generous mobile games I've played too. There are ads. But you can get the entire experience of this game without ever watching a single one. Like you get, if you watch ads, you get, the game is more generous than it is if you paid for the regular version on PC. Like you can still play the PC version 100% for free. And there are a ton of criticisms you can level against this game that are totally valid and I'm not going to defend. Because there is this sense of, well, this is just like a direct dopamine kick. Like... This game just throws meaningless level ups and things at you. So you're constantly like kicking yourself back in. And like, I could definitely see people that are just totally against this game in premise. But for me personally, I just, I really, really enjoy it. I don't think there's much more I can say about that other than it's it's just a lot of fun. Our next nominee for the TBM 2022 Game of the Year is God of War Ragnarok. Oh, boy. What is there to say about oh. God of War Ragnarok that hasn't already been said? Yeah. This game's this game is so good, it's hard to talk about. Like, Well, we also just had an episode about it, like, yeah. a month ago or whatever. I think that part of what made this game, or this year, like, so difficult to talk about a lot of games in it 
is just the fact that we knew Elden Ring and God of War were coming out this year. Um, so basically the top two on everyone's game of the year list was already kind of decided a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's funny though is I've actually seen a lot of lists that didn't have these two in the top spots, but that's baffling to me because they both delivered on every front. Anyone that didn't put Elden Ring and God of War Ragnarok in there, like at least in their top 10 is just being contrarian. <laughs> I just, I I don't, I couldn't put the words together to express how much I, I really liked everything about God of War Ragnarok. It had an impossible task in front of us, being a worthy sequel to 2018's God of War. Like, I, it, God of War 2018 was so good, I was almost scared of the idea of a sequel to it, because I couldn't imagine a game living up. And I don't know that it necessarily hit all of those highs that the 2018 game did, but it is a, a worthy sequel is an understatement. Like, this game is exceptional. I mostly don't know what to say since we just reviewed it not that long ago. Yeah, go go listen but, to our episode if you want to hear yeah. us gush about a game for an hour straight. <laughs> it's not only one of the best games I've played this year. It is easily one of the best games I've ever played. And sometimes I still think, this is this is a game that I can play? Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Like, yeah. I have finished it since our episode, and I can say it's good. <laughs> I think that the last scene of the game, like before the credits roll, is one of the most powerful moments I've ever seen in a game because it brings the entire series to the conclusion that it needed, but it still leaves so much out there to explore. Like this could be the last game that Kratos is ever in and I would be totally satisfied or there could be 10 more and I would be thrilled. (laughs) I just I really love this game. It's so good. Like, I, I I don't know what to say. It's just so good. Well, let's leave it at that for now. Our next nominee for the TBM 2022 Game of the Year is Citizen Sleeper. This one's a late entry. I did not play it until about two weeks ago. Yeah, I didn't play this until about, like, probably, I, I'd say I probably picked it up, like, a week before we started recording this. I saw it on Game Pass one day. I'd seen other people talk about it, like, in their Game of the Year list. And I saw it on Game Pass, and I realized that I could play it for free. And then I did, <laughs> and I had a great time. Oh, yeah. Like, I downloaded this with the intention of trying it out, because I heard Jason really liked it, and I thought, you know, I should try it out just to give it a shot so I can have something to talk about it with the episode. And then I surprisingly fell in love with it. It is very fun. Like, I did not expect to have as much fun with this game as I did. Like. This is a game that is mostly reading. It is reading and dice. I knew I'd get one of them in there. (laughs) And I had more fun with it than a lot of games this year. I don't know if I guess like Vampire Survivors, it probably would be good to give a little bit of information about Citizen Sleeper. In Citizen Sleeper, you play as a sleeper. uh, A robot called a sleeper. And a sleeper is basically it's basically a human's mind transferred over into In a, robot. a robot. Yeah, and the robot has its own kind of set of problems. Like, it's basically built to wear itself out unless it gets injected with uh, some kind of stabilizer mm-hmm. Capitalism. every so often. 
it, it's like constantly breaking itself down and your character is basically a fugitive because you've escaped from the company that you were essentially uh, a servant for and you're just trying to make your way on the space station by any means necessary uh but you're kind of limited in how many actions you could do by a set of dice that are rolled at the beginning of every day. Basically, higher numbers on the dice means that you're more likely to succeed at any task that you attempt with that dice, and lower numbers mean you're more likely to fail. Or you're, it, when you do fail, it'll have a worse consequence for you. Basically, what you're looking at here is a survival game where you have to manage all of the normal things like your health and how much food you have and how protected you are from other people and outside elements and all that stuff. You have to manage all that with dice rolls, but there is also an incredibly, incredibly endearing narrative mixed in with this one. This is not just a survival game by any stretch. Yeah, it's not necessarily all about your character's story, but the stories of different characters that you meet uh, around the space station. Like, and there are so many characters you meet in this game. You know, somebody that runs a bar, or there's a, a mercenary that you could work with, or a, a farmer. Like, there, there are plenty of people out there, and they all have really interesting stories of their own rights. And you can kind of decide how much you want to get involved with those people, or if you want to screw those people over to make things easier for yourself. And sometimes you you have to make hard choices. Sometimes you're just not going to be able to help people because you need to put food on the table and you don't have the time and money to do both. Yeah, like sometimes you need to get a task done in a certain amount of time and you might not be able to get it done because you have more important things to do, like make sure your body doesn't fall apart or you don't starve to death. I heard a really, really good review of this game where one of the best things that someone said about it was that this game forces you to make really hard choices but it never makes you feel like the bad guy for it like there is a lot of charm to this game that you would not expect in a game that's in such a bleak environment because sometimes like i said you're just not gonna be able to help everybody and a lot of games you would have a character like hold that over you to make you as the player feel bad but this is a world where everybody's down on their luck. If you have to take some money and go, if you're given money for a job and instead you use it to go just get your own medicine, people get it. Like people don't give you money in this game without knowing like they might just not help me like they're supposed to. Like this game, every character feels very thorough and very authentic, which is wild considering how many characters there are. I won't say that I like, vibe with everything about this game but i think from a writing standpoint this is one of the best games i have seen just in terms of the emotional like the emotional i don't even know the emotional response it forces me to have to everything <laughs> plus it's got a lot of words so <laughs> it's like reading yeah. Yeah, it's like reading a book <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think that the this is one of those games where there was a part of me the whole time that was thinking like I do really wish I could just read this as a book because sometimes the gameplay parts feel like they're disjointed from the story but at the same time you know obviously if it was just a book you would lose all of the choice which is the biggest selling point of the game so you know I'd recommend Citizen Sleeper to anyone 
who uh, is willing to accept a little bit of luck in their life and is literate. Our final... Speaking of games for the illiterate. (laughs) (laughs) Our final nominee for the 2022 TBM Game of the Year is Fortnite. Now, that just feels so weird to say. (laughs) You're the one responsible for this. Jackson's like, it's so weird that they put Fortnite on the game of the year list. Who would do that? That's an insane thing for a weirdo to do. If you would have told me a year ago that I'd be saying one of the contenders for game of the year was a game that came out four years ago, I'd be saying that game came out four years ago. It can't contend for this year. But then I put it on this list because Fortnite, I I was really in the Fortnite like the first season of the battle royale through like the fifth and then i didn't really touch it again for a good bit not till a good bit through the second chapter of the game which was like three years later and then chapter three came out chapter three of Fortnite, which just concluded a few weeks ago has been one of the best multiplayer experiences that i've ever had in a video game And I know while it is not like a significant drastic DLC upgrade to a game or anything like that, they have made such small tweaks and stuff to the game in the past year that I feel like it has really hit its stride. And like it was already a big force in gaming, like people have been talking about Fortnite for the past five years, but I think it's really hit like its peak. I I think it has hit the most fun I've had with the game, the most fun I've had with a multiplayer game. And I I just didn't expect that, honestly. And I think that's a big reason that it made it to this list just because I didn't see it coming. I was initially wanting to push back on the idea of it being on this list altogether. But I think that you're definitely right that it, there wasn't some massive DLC or some huge, huge change to the game that made it so much more in this last year as much as it was like a lot of little changes just finally added up and i know that part of it is just the fact that it's a game added spider-man yeah that was that was the big change (laughs) but it's a game that the three of us play together a lot i mean it was my most played game of last year and it was just because of playing it with you all. Like it wasn't like I was very, very rarely setting out and playing by myself for more than just like a match or two every now and then. Yeah, it it might have beat out Destiny 2 as my most played game this year, which just sounds wild to me because I only play Destiny 2. I've never played another, another game before. I will just go ahead and say it it isn't my game of the year by any means and it's definitely not going to be the podcast game of the year because i know jason does not agree with it being on this list but it is one that i think is 100 percent worth talking about i i like fortnite i played it a lot this year and i'm willing to admit that um i also played a lot of morrowind four years ago but it wasn't my game of the year for 2018 either yeah it, that, that's another thing <laughs> like a few years ago I would have been embarrassed to say, yeah, I play Fortnite a lot. But that's also because I was like 14 and stupid things embarrassed me. Let's talk about some of the games we're looking forward to in 2023. And once we're done with that, I promise, folks, we are going to pick the game of the year. 
We're just going to rapid fire these. We're not going to get super, super into them because we don't have much to say yet because they're games that aren't out yet. Probably my the most excited I am for any game for 2023 is Atomic Heart. It's a game that I have been really, really excited for ever since it was announced, which has been four years ago now. Like, it looks like Bioshock brought into the modern day. And Bioshock's one of my favorite games of all time, but it's a very story-heavy game, and I know the story. And mechanically, it doesn't hold up the best all the time. So, like, I have been ecstatic about this game. And now that we've seen some extended gameplay and stuff like that, I am confident this game is going to be fantastic. Like, this game is going to knock it out of the park on all fronts. That's that's my bet. I'm thinking, like... 26%. 90-plus percent on uh, Metacritic. Like, way, way Jackson, up Jackson, get your guessing. Uh, uh... 73 26 so the next one i am i am very up in the air on final fantasy 16 i really like everything i've seen i'm ecstatic they're kind of going back to a more traditional fantasy setting and some more traditional fantasy style of storytelling but i don't think it's gonna i don't think everybody's gonna love that (laughs) so I'm a I'm a little bit more up in the air. I'm thinking like a 70 this time around. I'm gonna miss the boy band road trip in a nice car. Yeah, yeah that was a that was a cool vibe. I we need more games with that vibe. More road trip games. Say what you will about Final Fantasy 15, but the vibes were immaculate. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be a podcast in 2023 if we didn't say that. <laughs> so the last game I want to talk about, sort of the oddball here, because this is a totally new. Uh, style of a game. It's from Team Ninja, the group that created Ninja Gaiden. And this is sort of in that vibe, but it's the game Wolong Fallen Dynasty. So this looks like Sekiro, but turned up to 11. And for me, that's what all games should be. Uh, I'm just, I'm really, really excited about this one. I I think it's going to be a brutally difficult game that a lot of people are going to be totally turned off by, but... I really like what I've seen. So I'm I'm betting like 80-ish on this one because I think that it's going to definitely have some fans that are like super into it. Uh, 26. It's the next Godfall. Yeah. Oh, God. No, wait. 17. Yeah. No, I already said <laughs> uh, 20, 26. I'll also throw Same in one. an honorable mention here. Uh, I don't think it's actually coming out in 2023. But it won't. Hollow Knight Silk Song. That... If I knew for sure it was coming this year, it would be my most anticipated game of this year, but I don't think it's actually coming out. <laughs> it might not actually be coming out at all, so do what you will with that. Unlike your games, which are all going to be bad and no one's going to like them, my games are all going to be good and everyone is going to like them. Ah. And that's why we're starting with Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. It's a true successor to the Arkham series, and because of that, I'm excited for it because I really liked what Rocksteady did with Batman, and I'm excited to see them do the rest of the DC universe. When do you think we'll get the uh, reboot, The Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League? <laughs> the Suicide we'll, Squad we'll Kill s- Justice we'll League. Him. You just move the. <laughs> this one's moving away from, you know, like the character action game style of the Arkham series and is more of a squad based shooter. I think it's Captain Boomerang, Deadshot, Harley Quinn, and King Shark. I'm kind of excited to see what Rocksteady does. I mean, they have not developed anything other than 
the Arkham series. So I, I'm really excited to see what they've been doing for the past several years. I think, didn't Arkham Knight come out in 2015? Yeah, so I'm expecting, you know, eight years of work, but their previous work has been so clean and so good. And while I'm not exactly thrilled about the squad shooter kind of thing, I, I still think it's going to be pretty good. And I'm 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 placing it 84 on Metacritic. It's just going to barely miss that 85. And as such, they're not going to get their their bonus. Next up is Starfield. Starfield's the, the new game coming from Bethesda that they've been talking up for several years. I'm most excited for this game because once they finish it, it means that they'll finally be working on a sequel to uh, Skyrim. No, they won't. <laughs> it's never happening. I kind of wish Bethesda would expand because I feel like they're one of the one of the most consistent, maybe one of like my favorite development studios out there, but they absolutely refuse to work on more than one game at a time. And the fact that the, the way they're talking, it doesn't even seem like they've started work on Elder Scrolls means we're probably not even going to get it until the next console generation. So I'm hoping Starfield's pretty good to tide me over. <laughs> I'm excited for Starfield. I like space. Jason Trier tweeted like earlier this week that any new game announced from like here on out is probably going to be for the or not announced, but that started from here on out will probably be on the next console generation. And that's wild. Yeah. But Starfield, based on what we've seen so far, it looks interesting, although it has gotten delayed quite a few times. And that makes me a little nervous. I'm pretty confident it's actually coming this year, though, because I was assuming it would be like winter of this year. But a lot of a lot of reporting now is saying it could come as soon as like early summer, which is pretty wild. I don't believe that. I can definitely see winter. I don't see early summer, but I definitely see winter. It's got it got delayed several times, I think, is kind of the biggest thing, though. And that usually means that bad things are going on behind the scenes. So I'm a little nervous. I'm, I'm going to be much more conservative. I'm kind of only expecting this to be somewhere in like the 60s. Like, I do not think Starfield is going to come out to positive reviews, especially because it's a Bethesda game and it's going to be incredibly buggy. Yeah, uh, I've already seen someone saying that it will be a 2024 game of the year as long as it does actually come out in 2023. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm excited to see what modders do to it one day (laughs) the final game that i'm really excited for coming out this year is spider-man 2 everything we've seen of it looks really good i'm really excited to kind of see venom in a game he hasn't been in a game in a while at least not as like the main villain craven's really interesting too (laughs) i'd like to take what jason said a step back and say we have not seen much about this game at all True. Yeah, sorry, we've seen, there's been one trailer, and honestly, the fact that they haven't shown off anything more... It worries me. It's a little concerning. I don't think, it, it doesn't make me worry that it's going to be bad or something, it makes me worry if it's going to actually come out this year. Yeah, I could definitely see it's it It's set for delayed. fall 2023, but I can see it getting delayed. Insomniac's done great work, though, and Spider-Man, whatever, whatever it was, just Marvel Spider-Man, and... Spider-Man Miles Morales were both incredible and they've got the controls for the characters down pat like they know how to make an interesting they know how to make you feel like Spider-Man yeah 
I I don't see how they could really screw up Spider-Man 2 unless something really bad goes on. So I, I'm definitely saying like higher 80s. Uh, 89, no, 92. I'm going to go mm. all the way to the 90s. 92%. Wow. That's my guess. I'm being, I want to be really specific. Yeah. And then if I'm right on any of them, it's going to seem crazy. <laughs> yeah. Now I'll take it over from here. Unsurprisingly, since I've talked about Breath of the Wild a lot, first thing I got to talk about is Legend of Zelda's Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which is another one that might just not come out this year. <laughs> nah, I think this one's coming. I mean, well, I mean, it's already scheduled for May. I don't think it's even going to get That's, delayed. That is there. true. It's set for May. The biggest reason I think this probably has to come out is I don't think Nintendo has another like huge first party game set for this year. Well, but, and on top of that, this is as long as they've gone without a new Legend of Zelda already by a, a decent margin thought process with this as i did with god of war ragnarok breath of the wild was so good i just do not know how you follow that up it it again seems like an impossible task that will honestly be surprising to pull off but the little bit we've seen of this does make me very excited you get to go to the freaking sky and get a robot arm i don't know where this is going but i'm very excited to see where it goes I I definitely give it like definitely seeing 95s and above. It could either be that or it could be really low scores. But I'm I'm wishing for that that real that real high point. I mean, we just played Skyward Sword last year. Yeah. And it was still really good and it's considered to be like the weakest 3D Zelda. That's true. So. I didn't really like it. But I doubt that they could screw up a Zelda enough for me to not like it. Because at the end of the day, I did like Skyward Sword a lot. My next one is Jedi Survivor. Well, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. The follow-up, because everything on my list is a sequel and nothing new. The follow-up to Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. I'm a big Star Wars fan. I love I love space and stars and the wars between them. Star Wars, is that... Is that something I should know? No, it's pretty niche. You wouldn't you wanna get it. Is that like the expanse? <laughs> <laughs> but I really enjoyed Fallen Order. It is the closest thing to a Souls like I've played. <laughs> um, yeah. Except for Elden Ring. Well, okay, that I've finished. That I that yeah, that I've finished. And it is it was really good. I I was worried about it. Because the last, the last EA Star Wars game was Battlefront 2, which wasn't very good. And the last one before that was Battlefront 1, which also wasn't very good. But then I looked on it and I saw this being made by Respawn. They made freaking Titanfall. That's one of the best games I've ever played. So yeah, I, I've got high hopes for this one. I think this will be really good. I'm going to say like 87 87 that's my guess mm. that uh, feels like the boldest boldest claim that has been made so far you don't think it's gonna be very good no i think it will be but i think it's gonna it's not gonna be uniformly loved like i think that mm. the first game was sort of polarizing like i think people everybody saw its merits but there were a lot of people that just did not vibe with it at all and i think this game will be exactly the same that's basically what i'm expecting I'm very excited for it. I really like the first one a lot. I think it's probably the best Star Wars game there has been, but 
I like that you can have an orange lightsaber. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I need to make a major, major uh, change to what I just said. I think it's the best Star Wars game there has been where the characters are not made of Legos. <laughs> and my final pick, which is, uh, you know, no, no surprise at all. Destiny 2 Lightfall, which is less than two months away. Well, we already know what this one's going to get. Yeah, it's going to get like a 60 something. <laughs> Straight 100s <laughs> all the way down. Yeah. It's going to be the highest rated because this one's Vaporwave or whatever, right? So it's going to get 100%. Yep. Yeah, everyone loves that. No, but I honestly don't remember what the review scores for the previous DLCs were like. And DLCs with Destiny can be so, so different. Um, I would, I, I have to give this one a range. I think this one will be between 65 and 85. Somewhere in that range, it'll fall. I mean, almost all games fall in that range, so yeah. That is true. <laughs> but it'll... Dude, I'm thinking every single game of 2023 is going to fall somewhere in that 10 to 99% <laughs> range. Yeah. You know, it's a new DLC, so new planet. We're going to a hidden city on Neptune called... What's it called? Neomuna, I believe is what it's called. You know, it's all that, like, vaporwave sort of vibe. The whole, like, synopsis is there is a hidden city on Neptune that has survived, hidden, and able to, like, continuously progress since the collapse. So it's, like, super high-tech. It's the first true, like, lived-in city there's been in Destiny. So I'm very interested to see what that's like. They're going to be NPCs just walking around? I don't know doubt it yeah i doubt it i really doubt it it'll somehow be a deserted city there's also a new it's gonna the dlc is gonna start it's gonna be like every living person in portland oregon has disappeared i i hope the next destiny expansion takes place in portland oregon oh that'd be great uh (laughs) but also you know also there's a new subtype uh subclass type uh called strand this is the second strand type game (laughs) yes i honestly don't understand what strand is like all the other subclasses have been simple. There, you know, there's arc. That's lightning. There's fire. That's fire. There's void, which is the absence of the the absence of things. You know that famous element. <laughs> and then there's stasis, which is ice. And this one's just supposed to be like psychic projections or something. I don't get it. But you get a grapple hook. Well, I think that that's enough nonsense. It's officially time for us to pick the TBM 2022 Game of the Year. Just as a quick reminder, we're talking about Pokemon Legends Arceus, Horizon Forbidden West, Elden Ring, Tunic, Kirby and the Forgotten Land, Vampire Survivors, God of War Ragnarok, Citizen Sleeper, and Fortnite. And the first award for most game (laughs) goes to... Horizon Forbidden West. <laughs> no, Elden Ring. Probably Fortnite, For having actually. the most content. Fortnite only has one content. <laughs> you can play yeah. it forever. Yeah. So let's actually, let's start by taking off some of these that we know are not the game of the year. So I think that... Can we do that in the form of giving them really dumb awards? Okay. Give me a good award for Fortnite. <laughs> The award for Fortnite is biggest cash grab. (laughs) 
Fortnite wins the award of best game that came out in 2017 <laughs> in the 2022 game of the year category. Everybody clap. And then yeah. and then uh then Tim or whatever, the guy from the guy from Epic Games, he comes up and he says Thank you. When we made this game, we had the goal of taking as much money from children and their parents as possible. We succeeded. Um, that is how we became the most profitable game of all time. Yeah. And then everyone claps. I just don't think it was quite right to have it in this category. Uh, just on on virtue of it not technically being a yeah. release this year. So it, it pains me to do it. But another game I think that we should go ahead and sort of scrap here is Vampire Survivors. So I don't really know if what Vampire Survivors is is even in like the same category as games like Elden Ring and God of War Ragnarok. Like as much fun as Vampire Survivors is, it's very, very basic. And it is relying very, very heavily on just, like, tricking your brain into getting addicted to it. And I just, I don't know if that necessarily lives and breathes on this list. Does that does that track? Yeah, I get yeah, it. I can definitely agree with that. The TBM 2022 award for least graphics <laughs> goes to Vampire Survivors. <laughs> It was also in the running for, sorry, <laughs> this is the second award the game has taken away tonight. Its other award being sm- smallest file size. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think next, the next one, the takeaway, which receives the award for best book I read this year, Sleeper Citizen. <laughs> You've said it wrong so many times. How do you keep doing this? I don't. He's like, I, I don't love know. Sleeper Citizen. I, and we're all like, what, what is, is that? that? No, Citizen Sleeper. Obviously, I can't read well. But no. It really makes me concerned about what you took away from the game. <laughs> no, I I really like Citizen Sleeper. Uh, it's just, it. I don't think there's anything... That I dislike about it. I think the only reason it's getting taken off is just there are a bunch of other games that I think are better. (laughs) Oh, okay. I really like Citizen Sleeper. I think the award that it deserves is uh, most randomized. (laughs) Most made me sad. (laughs) Most dice. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of games that have dice happening behind the scenes. That's true. (laughs) Uh, most obvious dice. <laughs> okay, so I have another one that I want to pull, and it hurts me because it's probably like that. It's probably my third favorite game of the year. But like I said when I was initially talking about it, I was the only one that was like really into Kirby. Like I think from from its most basic level, it's just not Jackson's kind of game. And Jason, you were talking about preferring it in two D. So I I have a hard time making a case for it over a couple of these other games anyways. So I think that that's a, a safe one to remove. Like I said, I think it's better than a handful of the games we still have left. But I I I know that that's hard to hard to sell. Kirby in the Forgotten Land is taking away three awards tonight. 
It won the award for biggest mouth. <laughs> okay. Cutest protagonist. Hey, Ooh, take that back. One. Tunic, Tunic and, had it coming. Yeah. And hi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when Kirby says hi, I feel it every time. Kirby saying hi, I think, is maybe the cutest thing in any video game. Yeah, I'd agree. It touches my soul. He's such a happy little guy. Yeah. Jason, you haven't pulled anything from the list. Tell us which which one is really the standout here. The bad There's standout. There's one game <laughs> in this list that I have not played. Uh. <laughs> yeah. As such, I feel inclined to remove it from the running. <laughs> yeah. Just as Jackson will. In his turn next. Yeah. Horizon Forbidden West. It has already won the awards for most redhead protagonist <laughs> and most dinosaurs takes place in San Francisco, but it also deserves the award for biggest robot. Hmm, that is a that is a big one this year. I get it being removed though. As much as I liked it, I again just some of the other games on this list, I don't think it quite beats out. And I know even though Jordan really liked Zero Dawn, he did not really get into this. And Jason yeah, didn't just... like Zero Dawn, so I knew he wasn't going to play this. So it, it makes sense. They for it are to come both out. written by John Gonzalez, who wrote for Fallout New Vegas. And I have to give him, I have to give those games a lot of credit. I can only assume that the scenario is very good. Yeah, I think that that is the one thing that these games do better than almost any other is the fact that they take an absolutely insane premise and make it believable and grounded and serious in a way that I really, really admire. Forbidden West kind of loses that just a little bit, but it does. It goes a little, it goes a little off the deep end. Especially like the last 20 minutes. Which I have not gotten to personally. This game just never quite dragged me in like the first one did. I had the platinum on the first game within like two weeks of it coming out. And I haven't even finished the story of this one after almost a full year. So just didn't have the same draw. It's going to be to you how Zero Dawn was to me. I didn't beat Zero Dawn until 2021. <laughs> At some point I'm going to sit down and just like really give that game the time it deserves. But we have just not gotten there yet. So I think that three of the games that are left on this list are exceptional. One of them just isn't up there on the with the other three in terms of quality. And it's a game that Jackson just didn't love at all. So oh, I wouldn't even say I didn't love. I'd say I hated it, which makes no sense because there are so many things in this game that I should like. I still do not want to play this game ever again. This is the first game removed from the list that hurts me. Yeah. Give us give us a, an award for Pokemon Legends Arceus. Pokemon Legends Arceus is taking away our award tonight for worst redesign of a classic <laughs> character design for the new version of Typhlosion, where they made him look like a stoner. I was gonna say the new redesigns of the legendaries are bad. Oh yeah, they are <laughs> they're pretty bad. Were, I thought those were the ones you were referring to. Oh, yeah, where they made them, like, weirdly half-horse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those were really bad. <laughs> uh, I'll also give it the award for best fight theme during the final fight in the game because I thought that that was really solid. Yeah, I liked it a lot. <sighs> okay, so here's where it gets tough. So our three remaining contenders are Elden Ring, 
Tunic, and God of War Ragnarok. I would be totally, I would be thrilled with any of these games walking away as the official 2022 game of the year. Tunic being here feels a lot like the little bot, like the boss fights in Tunic, yeah. where you're fighting like a giant scary monster, <laughs> yeah, and he's just a little, he's just a little guy, yeah, yep. he's a little guy. But I mean, if anybody earned their spot in the top three, Tunic fought the hardest for it, sure, and I think that deserves a lot of respect. Yeah, well, and I gotta say, with Tunic, I think it was the most unique game that we had on the list, just because. At its most basic level, it was a very simple game. It took a lot of inspiration from your classic Legend of Zeldas and whatnot, but it evolves into something much bigger and more complex and that actually has a really, really fascinating narrative buried within it. And also, Jordan never found the character customization room, and I think that's funny. <laughs> yeah, there are, there are major mechanics of this game that are totally hidden away that I totally missed. Also, like, you can beat the game in several different ways. Like, you can find all the right items and solve all the puzzles and move on. Or you can just do what I did and just beat your head into the wall over and over again until you finally beat a very, very, very difficult boss. So, that's kind of cool. This uh, game gets the award for... Foxiest protagonist. <laughs> Gross. I don't like that. It's a pun. It's just, it's a pun. I don't like it. He's a little I don't fox care. Guy. I don't like it. Yeah. I, I cut that, cut that, cut that, cut that, cut that. <laughs> <laughs> I love Tunic. I just, I have a hard time seeing it, not even as, as good as the other two games on the list. I don't even really put it on the same level because I think that the other two games on this list are like my top 10 of all time. Yeah. The next two aren't even just year defining they are generation and decade defining games hear me out though tunic has the fewest words that you ever have to read in secession so it's true it is the most accessible game on the list even its title is more easily read <laughs> yeah. it only has one word yeah that's that's fair uh, and that is, I mean, that's like our our third most important category is uh, how few letters are in the title. <laughs> it's it's gameplay and the narrative and then brevity of title. <laughs> and that's why Sifu was, I think, really close to making the cut. Yeah, yeah. But only one of us played it, so. And that's why Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge didn't stand the chance. <laughs> okay. So, Elden Ring and God of War Ragnarok. I know where my heart lies. <laughs> I know I know what I'm feeling inside of me. But I don't think it's what you two are feeling, if I'm honest. I, I think I would be feeling it if I had just played it more. Because there is so much... There's a lot in it that... There is so much in it that appeals to me. Almost every aspect of this game appeals to me, but there was one specific thing that didn't, which made playing it very hard because it's most of the game. No, we already took Pokemon Legends Arceus <laughs> out of the list. See, that's the other game you yeah. said this exact same thing about. Hey, at See, least I don't hate this one. <laughs> here's the thing that I try to, I try to consider whenever I'm talking about a game, because sometimes I will feel like I really, really love a game. And then retroactively look back at it a lot more negatively. 
which game do I think people will be talking about in a decade? And I think the answer on that's fairly obvious. But, but let, let me let me finish the, this thought, though, because I think this will okay. this will more than anything. I think this will help me convince myself. So when we say things like didn't get around to a game, didn't get around to finishing it, uh, you know, I loved it, but I only played like 10 hours, whatever. There has to be a reason for that. There has to be a reason to not finish a game or to stop playing a game just abruptly. And it could be other factors like other games came out or we had stuff going on that prevented that. But the thing is, Elden Ring came out in February and neither of you two felt compelled to go back and finish it or even really play it a lot more since then. That's not a knock against the game inherently, but this decision has to be reflective of our opinions collectively as the host of this podcast. My biggest reason for not finishing uh, this game is uh, depression. <laughs> I don't know if that should be cut or not. Well, but I, but you have to think, like, one of these games did not struggle to keep you motivated to keep playing it. And the other one did, for whatever reason. And while I think that Elden Ring still sits comfortably above God of War Ragnarok, God of War Ragnarok is still an exceptional game. And all three of us played it and finished it. Two of us got the Platinums for it. Played a lot of this game. And it's I, not a short game by any stretch. No, I put like 50 hours in this game within three weeks, which is a lot for me. Like for someone that was currently in classes at the time of that, that is, that's a lot of video game to be playing. Jason, I'm most interested in your opinion on this because I think you're the one that has you're you're the one that has the most complex feelings about both of these games, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think they're both incredible. I think I think one day I'm going to go back and finish Elden Ring and I'm going to be like I should have given that game of the year because I've done that with plenty of other games or like games that Maybe at the time I had looser feelings for, but I go back, you know, a little bit later and just get blown away by it. But, you know, I guess if we're really going by how we feel right now, then, you know, it's too late for us to go back and make uh, our game of the year for last year into um, It Takes Two. But, you know, at the time, we weren't all feeling It Takes Two was the game of the year. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, even if a game isn't your favorite game later, it is now, then that's worth remembering and writing down. And I think right now, I would say that God of War Ragnarok is my game of the year. Hmm. I too would say this. Even if I don't know if I would agree with that in the future. Yeah. And I think there is... I think there is a scenario where I could have given my game of the year to Elden Ring if I played it more. But one thing I have realized recently is that even if that happened, the biggest draw of God of War for me is the story and characters. Which, I, I've heard that Elden Ring does have a story hidden in there somewhere, but that's that's just it. It's hidden. And... Story and characters are what are most likely to make me connect with the game more 
something God of War has that Elden Ring doesn't, which is one of the biggest factors of whether a game will be better than another for me is its characters and story are at the forefront. I, the characters in God of War are some of the best I've ever seen in video games, and I still don't understand how they are characters in a video game. Like, Christopher Judge's and Sonny Soljak's performance as Kratos and Atreus, I feel like a broken record because I said it in our God of the War review, I've said it a million times, but they are the best performances I have ever seen in anything. They are astounding at what they do, and they are some of the best written characters I've ever seen. And I, even if I gave Elden Ring more time, that is not something Elden Ring can be. I can say without a doubt that of between the time that I put into Elden Ring and the time I put into God of War Ragnarok, I think that a significant portion of that time was more enjoyable. Whereas I feel like Elden Ring did have some times where it felt like I was just going through the motions. But I, I never really felt like that with God of War. Like, I always wanted to push forward. I was always really intrigued by the story. That's not something you can say about every game. And I, I don't know, you know, like, I don't, I can't think of any games from 2021 that kind of got the same kind of emotional response that God of War Ragnarok got from me. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if there'll be anything like that in 2022. But I can say that, or in 2023, I mean, but in 2022, I can say there was a game that made me feel things. And that was God of War Ragnarok. <laughs> yeah, I will say at the end of the day, as much as I love about Elden Ring, uh, it, it's hard to admit, I didn't cry a single time. God of War Ragnarok, I cried three times. <laughs> I actually cried more in Elden Ring because I kept losing to the first <laughs> boss and he made me really sad a lot. Yeah. Okay. He kept well. calling the names. <laughs> so that's it. He kept seeing cease your foolish ambitions or, or put your ambitions to rest or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was. Yeah. So our game well, of the year, our TBM, our totally biased media game of the year. 2022. Our TBM GOTY 2022. <laughs> officially goes to God of War Ragnarok. Woo! Go and then you can in, you can include that scene uh, in, in it just from uh, the Game Awards where Hosier says like "blood on the snow" or something <laughs> like that. This is where the home improvement goes. grunt should go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I save it for this. <sighs> wow. I mean, I, think I at also the end of the day, uh, also oh. I do have to give another reward uh, to this episode of Totally Biased Media for being the longest we've ever recorded (laughs) yeah hooray oh and we we also need to give an award to elden ring as a consolation prize elden ring has already taken home the award for most game but it also gets the award for biggest (laughs) runner-up closest almost (laughs) game of the year I would have been happy with like any of the final five we had being the game of the year. But I mean, I think God of War Ragnarok makes a lot of sense because like last year, for example, there were a lot of games that we liked, but very few that all three of us like really loved. Whereas I think God of War Ragnarok is a game that all three of us really loved because 
as much as I say, like, I didn't like it as much as Elden Ring, it's still exceptional in its own right. And I think that the story that it tells, especially as an extension of the 2018 game, might be the best I've seen in a video game, period. It's certainly the one I've been the most emotionally connected with. Like, I went into this game assuming it was going to hurt me in a palpable way (laughs) because I care so much about these characters. I went into this game with the expectation that I would walk away thinking, you know, 2018 is better, but this is still very good. And what I really walked away feeling was that I will never be able to talk about them separately. I will only be able to talk about them as one whole because they tell even though you could play 2018 separately and never play 20 and never play Ragnarok and still get a very cohesive story once you play Ragnarok it fully expands that into one of the best like overarching stories in a video game and I I will never be able to talk about them as separate games ever again and no other game no other game sequel has ever done that for me. Like when I talk about Mass Effect 2, I say, "Oh yeah, this is a lot better than the first one." But I I'll I'll only be able to talk about God of War 2018 and Ragnarok as as if they're one whole. And I did not think a game would be able to do that. Yeah, I got to say that is something interesting about God of War 2018 and Ragnarok. It doesn't feel necessarily like there was just kind of some major upgrade to Kratos or yeah, Atreus between the two games. It feels like they're getting new stuff and it's always tied to the story. It it doesn't feel like they just suddenly improved a whole lot. It feels like things have continued on their trajectory, but nothing major really happened until you got back, which I think is kind of impressive. It's, it's just interesting. I, I haven't seen that kind of progression in a game before usually when you go to a sequel like suddenly the character's way better or they lose everything and they're way worse but (laughs) yeah not in god of war okay well congratulations to god of war ragnarok and that concludes our first episode of totally biased media of 2023 (laughs) that was really good actually that was was really good yeah Uh, i'm gonna save that uh so If you want to reach out to us, there are a handful of ways you can do that. First, on Twitter, at TBMcast. Second, on Instagram, at Totally Biased Media. Third, you can send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your game of the year. Uh, If you send us your suggestions, we would love to read them on our next episode of the podcast. And if you say Pokemon Legend Arceus, uh, I'm going to have to get Jason to keep me from beating you up. Yeah. I like Legends Arts. That's the order of operations for that. Uh, also, we are streaming on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Totally Biased Media. It's officially the year of the Kong, y'all. Year of the Kong. But for the Totally Biased Media podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. Can you do the noise again, Jackson? Uh, That one was not as good. good. (laughs) I tried too hard that time.